Happy Monday, friends. This is Cordelia on the We Heal Together podcast. Today's episode is part one of my two-part episode series on gaslighting. This episode, I'm going to get into an overview of what gaslighting is, give you real-life examples, and then next week, so next Monday, I'm going to give you tips to heal and to you know, get through it if you are being gaslighted. So I'm excited and let's get healing, friends. Today's episode is all about gaslighting. You might want to go ahead and pull out your pen and your paper because I feel like you're going to learn a lot today. As always, check out my show notes for all citations, for my sources, for where I get all the information that is contained in this episode, as well as book recommendations, worksheets, things like that. Let's start this episode with the origin of the word gaslighting. The term gaslighting actually comes originally from a 1938 British play by a guy named Patrick Hamilton. Now, it subsequently got turned into two different movies, and the second is actually more famous than the first one, and that one is from 1944. I personally am usually not a big fan of black and white films, but in preparing for this podcast, I ended up watching the 1944 movie and I was able to get it on, I have Apple TV. I'm going to put a link in the show notes for the Wikipedia page as well as the link directly to Apple if you want to rent or buy it. I think it was like $3.99 to rent it. And as I said, I usually don't like black and white movies, but this actually held my attention and I thought it was really well done and it was a good movie and I would recommend it. So for sure, check it out. I'm not going to give away the ending, but I'm going to give you just a little bit of a synopsis of that movie. The husband in the movie is the gaslighter. Husband marries wife after a whirlwind kind of romance. I think they were only together for a few weeks. He convinces the wife to move into this house that her aunt that had died left to her. And the aunt was actually murdered in the attic. Early on, the audience knows, like the, I don't want you to think I'm ruining the whole movie for you. It's from the, basically very early on, you know that he's gaslighting her. She isn't aware, but the audience knows. He's, his whole kind of purpose is he's after some jewels, which the deceased aunt has. 
So he's really doing everything in his power to convince wife, you're going crazy. I'm going to have to put you in an institution and take over everything and essentially be able to find these jewels without you bothering me. Throughout the movie, what it does a really good job of depicting is how this presents itself. So he does some things. For example, I wrote down when I was watching it, he told her, you're inclined to lose things. They're walking somewhere and she says she doesn't know this guy. And he's like, well, why did you smile at him then? They're out somewhere and... He says he hasn't been there before and he's lying and slips up saying something that lets on that he's actually been there. She calls him out on it and says, you know, wait, I, th I thought you said you never been here before. He tells her, the guides told us, are you becoming suspicious as well as forgetful? He's constantly telling her, oh, she's forgetting things and getting tired. He hides valuables and then he places them in her purse and accuses her of stealing them. A picture disappears from the wall and he accuses her of, of taking it. He also isolates her from other people and he warns friends and people around that she's mentally unstable. The big thing that he does is she hears footsteps at night in the attic, which is a sealed off attic. And then she sees a gaslight in the house that dims and brightens. And there's really no reason for it. He's the one doing it. Like, he's the one dimming and brightening the gaslight. And simultaneously, he is also telling her that's in her imagination. And one other really big thing that he does is in the beginning of the movie, she says something about how she doesn't know who her biological parents are. So she opens up to him. And then later on in the movie, he really takes this history that she told him when they were getting to know each other and he was this nice guy and he uses that against her. He's, he tells her, hey, I've been investigating your mom and I actually discovered your mom went crazy and she died in an insane asylum. Your mother was mad. She died in an asylum, you know, when you were a kid. Really, really good movie. Like I said, I don't usually like black and white movies. If you've been in an abusive relationship, if you've been gaslighted before, as you can tell, these examples, even though it was made in 1944, I'm sure most people can still relate to this. The wife really starts to believe she's going crazy. She believes she can't trust her mind. And she believes she's hallucinating and... But she's not well. So if you're wondering where gaslighting comes from and what it all means, I, I felt like that was really important to draw in. 
I found this really good article about the movie itself, which link is in the show notes. It's on a website called Remake Chronicles. And I'm going to just directly read to you what the, the author wrote. In the real world, the household becomes a closed system where the wife is cut off from any possible reality check on the part of friends and family who might be able to halt her disintegration. She's made to believe that everything that happens is her fault. She's offered little moments of affection and reward that are just as cruelly withdrawn. In a manner designed to make her feel that the blame for the loss is her own. Pathetically grateful for any indication of kindness. As her self-esteem is reduced not just to zero but to negative number. A woman in this position can be made to believe the most ridiculous things. Even those that contradict the evidence of her own senses. Super, super powerful quote. And FYI, the author wrote women, but this applies to really either gender. I just was reading the direct quote. This all sets the stage to now dig into what exactly is gaslighting. Let's break it down. It's a tactic where somebody is trying to make another person question their own memory, their own perceptions, their own beliefs, their own reality. On the domestic violence hotline, their website says, once an abusive partner has broken down the victim's ability to trust their own perceptions, the victim is more likely to stay in the abusive relationship. In an article that I linked in the show notes, the author Stern points out, gaslighting can only occur when a gaslightee tries consciously or not to accommodate the gaslighter or to get him to see things her way because she so desperately wants his approval so she can feel whole. It's gradual and it's happening over time. And it's done so you no longer trust yourself. You're depending on the person that's gaslighting you to trust what is going on. They are, the person who's doing the gaslighting is slowly convincing you that your way of thinking is distorted and that their way of thinking is correct and true. Gaslighting, again, the citation for this is linked in the show notes. It often evokes disturbing emotions, low self-esteem, cognitive discontrol by causing the individual to question his own abilities for thinking, perceiving, and reality testing, and also self-doubt, diminished self-esteem, confusion, anxiety, depression, and in some cases, psychosis. I want to take a moment to make a distinction between gaslighting and run-of-the-mill everyday lying. 
the biggest difference, in my opinion, is intent. Gaslighting is basically lies plus intent. Lying, you can do that for all kind of, kinds of reasons. You can tell a white lie to somebody. You know, I go out with a friend and my friend has a new haircut and I say, oh my goodness, I love your haircut and I don't actually like it. You know, that's a white lie where it's done to really be kind to somebody and protect their feelings. You can lie for tons of other reasons, though. For example, let's say I'm meeting my friends and I'm 20 minutes late and I say, sorry, I was stuck in traffic and there wasn't any traffic. You know, I'm trying to protect myself in that situation and not just admit like, hey, I actually was kind of a jerk and I wasn't respecting your time and I overslept. And so here we are. You can lie about, for example, somebody might say, I make $200,000 a year. And in reality, they make 30000 All kinds of examples where you're lying. In those examples that I'm giving about lying, notice that the intention isn't about the other person. You're not trying to make the other person feel crazy. You are not trying to make them think they remembered things wrong. You're not saying, I'm not late. What? No. We said we were going to meet at 1.30. You're, and your friend's like, what? You, we were going to meet at 1.00. The difference is the intention. If you're gaslighting somebody, you're trying to make them feel unstable. You're trying to make them feel nuts. I found a great article that really summarized some common techniques of gaslighting really well. There's six total, so I'm just going to go one by one. Number one, withholding. This is where the abuser acts like they don't understand, refuses to listen, and won't share with you their emotions. So they say something like, I'm not going to listen to this crap tonight. You're just trying to confuse me. Number two, countering. The abuser will call into question your memory despite you remembering it correctly. So they say, think about this. When did you last remember anything correctly or right okay well you thought that last time and you were wrong number three the abuser starts to question experiences thoughts and opinions more globally through statements such as you see everything in the most negative way Okay, well, you obviously never believed in me. You obviously never loved me. You have a really overreactive imagination. Number four, blocking or diverting. This is where the abuser changes the conversation from the subject matter to questioning the victim's thoughts and controlling the conversation. They say, I'm not going through this again. Would you quit bitching? Okay, you're hurting me on purpose. 
Where did you even get this insane idea? Number five, trivializing. The abuser makes the victim believe their thoughts or needs aren't important. This is so dumb. You're going to let this become this huge fight? Why? Number six, forgetting and denial. So the abuser pretends to forget things or denies them, like promises they made. What are you talking about? Making this episode was a little triggering for me. It was hard to revisit some of this stuff, but I feel like it's an important message to share with everyone. And I'm really hopeful that if you have friends or family or you yourself are being gaslighted, this can be an important tool. You can pass this episode along. When I think back about my own life, Gaslighting most often looked like if I misquoted the exact words that my abuser said, he would use this tactic to flip that focus back to me. All of a sudden, we weren't even talking about the issue. Instead, I was getting quizzed and I was getting asked to repeat back to him what he had said previously. We were no longer talking about what I actually wanted to talk about. We weren't talking about my partner's treatment of me. Name-calling, silent treatment, cheating, abandoning. No, we were now talking about the quote-unquote, real issue, my shitty memory. He made me feel like I was lucky that he put up with me, despite my faults and my shitty memory. And you know what? My memory problems and my faults only seem to happen around him. That's what gaslighting looks like. It causes you to lose trust in yourself. And then you become more dependent on that person who is gaslighting you. And you become dependent on them to even tell you what reality is. And you lose trust in yourself. You lose yourself. You lose trust in your memory. You lose trust in how you're perceiving things. And that's what it looks like. I'm going to walk you through some of the ways that I was gaslighted by my ex. Number one, medicine. As I've stated, I take Lexapro every single day. It's an amazing antidepressant. It has seriously been a lifesaver. I'm so thankful for it. I have seen a psychiatrist since 
2016. I do have diagnosis of depression as well as eating disorder issues. I'm really thankful for the help that both my counselor, because I don't just see a psychiatrist, I also see a counselor. And I'm very thankful for both. I think both have been super beneficial. I'm not embarrassed about it or ashamed. Frankly, most of the time when I share, oh, I'm on this medicine, I would say at least 75% of the time, whoever I'm talking to is like, oh, I'm on antidepressants as well, or I'm on this. Most people are struggling with something. It's nothing to be ashamed of. My abuser, these are direct quotes from things that he said to me, mostly text messages, but some are also from recordings or conversations as well. I mean this with love and nice. Please take some of your medicine and get some rest. Please talk to your doctor about changing your medicine. Did you not take your medicine today? Are you not taking your medicine? I'm not being mean. Please just talk to your doctor about reducing your medicine. This started around the same time. Again, direct quotes. These are things that he said, true words that he said. These are statements that are meant to make a person feel crazy. Along the same lines, the other thing that he did, number two, crazy making. Again, going to read you some direct quotes. You did the worst thing you've ever done yesterday, and that's saying a lot. You should be ashamed of your actions and behavior. He also told a mutual friend who sent me a screenshot about that he was telling her that I have mental health issues, and he said, I think I've been incredibly naive about what that all means in terms of my mental health in the screenshot. He called me bipolar often and has told others that I have bipolar. Also, I just want to note, I'm not shaming anybody who has bipolar. I'm just using this as an example of gaslighting and the way that he used it, which was a, a tactic he was using to shame and discredit. In preparing for this episode, I went through, typed in the word bipolar. Just one of the results that came up from him was typical and not surprising. This kind of bipolar behavior is why I left you. You need serious, serious help. If you didn't act like this, we could be together. Because you are outrageous. I can't talk to you when you're like this. They make you question yourself. And question your sanity. I want to point out as well. I don't know if everyone's like this, but I was. I 
first of all, started to truly believe that I was the problem. I mean, I did truly believe that. I went, I've done counseling on and off for a very long time. But when I moved with my ex to a different part of the state, about four hours away to be closer to his family because that's what he said that he wanted. And I moved in like the fall of 2018. So especially once we got to this, you know, new place where I was the only people that I knew were him and his family, I really bought into that I was the problem. In March 2019, I started seeing a counselor here, like in my new new place. And I saw her, I still see her to this day. She's amazing. And she played a really big role in understanding what was going on for me. So in these examples that I just went through, the medicine, the crazy making, when I first started counseling with her, and she reminded me of this not too long ago, she said, you know, Cordelia, when you started, you said to me, hey, I want to be a better partner. My partner has been pointing out all this stuff, and I've, you know, I, something's the matter. Like, I don't remember things correctly, and there's, I just need help to to learn how to be a better partner because I really, I love this, this guy. And I had a notebook and, you know, every single week I did counseling with her and still do. And over time, she very, she was pivotal in me understanding and making little observations of, Okay, well, you know, why don't why don't we try tracking some stuff a little bit more closely and see see what's going on, you know? So having me journal, having me write out the text that he was actually sending, reading the conversations and then seeing staring at a piece of paper and seeing how he was then gaslighting me and lying about it. Having me record conversations, that seriously saved my life. Recording conversations saved my life. Pull out your phone, record the conversation, and then listen to it. Listen to it later and then see what was actually said. What's interesting to me is he accused me of all this stuff, being nuts, being crazy. And then the second I started to actually track things, because I would tell him, I would say, like, I'm recording you. I just recorded you. I mean, I wouldn't say it every time, but probably 70% of the time I did. He started accusing me of being nuts for doing that. It's like you can't. You can't win with them. 
you're saying I'm crazy and you're telling me that I don't remember anything correctly. And then when I actually am doing everything within my realm of power to fix that and to work on that and to go to a counselor every week to start actually seeing what's up with my memory, going back, writing down texts, writing down our conversation right after, listening to the conversation. And now I'm crazy for trying to fix the problem that you claim that I have. The third thing that he did was in regards to my dog. When I met my ex, he had a dog. I had a dog of my own. And our whole foundation, our whole relationship really originated around our dogs. Like we went on so many, we went on dates, like we would spend time together at the dog park. Whenever we would, I would go over to his place or he would come over to mine. We would bring our dogs. He never told me once, you know, I'm allergic to dogs, anything like that. After we had been together about seven, six or seven months, he, not me, him, talked about how there was this dog that he wanted. And I initially was really hesitant. I was like, ah, like that stressed me out to think about how am I going to have essentially a third dog? Like what is going on? I don't know if I can do it. He is the person who wanted this dog. So eventually we did decide together, you know, I got on board and we got the dog. I named the dog, so I named him Huckleberry. (laughs) Spoiler alert, still have him, love him. He's the best. But after getting the dog, he slowly, very slowly, started suggesting and saying, oh, I didn't tell you, I was allergic to dogs when I was a kid. I'm allergic to dogs. And his mom started joining in as well. You know, he's allergic to dogs. I can't believe that you you have that dog. And he, I feel so ashamed and I feel so sad that I was not the ally and the person that Huckleberry needed me to be. My ex, I mean, I let him. I let my ex just keep that dog in a separate room away from the other two dogs. So he, the other two dogs were allowed to, you know, walk around the house. But this third dog, he had to stay in the other room and stay in a cage. And... I mean, I did everything in terms of I was watching, washing the blankets and sheets at least once a week. I kept blankets on the couch. I was watching, washing those all the time. I was, I bought air purifiers, multiple air purifiers, like three or four. 
I constantly was trying to, you know, brush the dogs and things like that. And also I bought those like Aller Pet wipes that help with those kind of things. And I changed the air filters in the house all the time. And again, it was only this one dog that he was isolating. And finally, one day he wasn't here and I went to put Huckleberry back in that room and he started like crying and shaking and went in the corner and I just looked at him in that moment and I just was like, I can't do this anymore. Like I I can't do this to this dog. Happy to say he has not been in a crate since and he sleeps by me every night (laughs) and I will forever be making up to him the ways that I let him down as a dog mom. But I wrote down an exact quote of what my ex said. This is just one example of so many that he said to me during this time period. You would rather me scratch my arms and face until they bleed than get rid of a fucking dog. You're a horrible person, you fucking bitch. So why do I bring that up in gaslighting? Because it's gaslighting. When you meet me and you date me and you propose to me and you do all these things, I mean, you know, from day one, you know I love dogs. You know, my whole world is my dog. I love my dog more than anything. But then all of a sudden, I'm nuts. I'm selfish. I'm crazy. Because I don't want to get rid of or isolate the dog that you wanted (laughs) no no sir that is not okay number four he would always do this thing where he would use the word narrative so he would say things like i'm sick of your narrative i 100 percent disagree with your narratives of what happens between us and your characterizations of me Guys, this is nuts. So as you know, I am a lawyer. I'm an attorney. And in law school, they, in my law school at least, they taught us in my trial advocacy courses to use words like story and narrative in closing arguments before the court, so in front of a jury, to undermine the opposing party's closing argument. So basically standing up and saying stuff like, oh, you just heard their narrative. Now here's the truth. And my ex is also an attorney. And so every time he would say this, I was like, oh my God, he's trying to make me feel nuts again whenever he uses this word. Number five, justifying abuse. So here's just one example of many. What can anyone do the way you behave, you are behaving? What do you expect? What are you even allowing? This isn't anywhere close to love. You're right. And you have beyond driven me away. I also look at, there was, I'm going to read a text conversation. So 
I said, you sprayed me with a hose twice and you literally didn't even come here today to say sorry or beg me to forgive you. I mean, he sprayed me with a hose in the middle of an argument when he was screaming at me to tell me to stop, to get me to stop talking. He said, I know what really happened. Stop trying to lie and gaslight me. This isn't okay and I'm not endorsing it any longer. Number six, he would tell me people that were close to me were saying things like he told me my mom said I was troubled. She never said that. He told me my best friend said that I was, she was so glad that he was in my life and I really deserved a good guy after everything I'd been through. And she never said that. So he was acting like all these people were confiding in him and making him seem like this saint and me like this damaged goods person. And that's just not the case. Next. So he proposed to me. And then he acted like all I wanted was a wedding. And he also, I mean, my engagement, the year I was engaged, honestly, was the worst year of my life. Like this year, even though I've been going through a divorce, it's been 5,000 times better than the year I was engaged because the whole engagement was honestly gaslighting. Like he proposed to me and then he would say things to me like, like I would be doing normal things like planning for the wedding, trying to talk about the wedding. And he'd be like, God, all you care about is a wedding. And it's like, I mean, looking back, I'm like, what the hell? Like, no, I, I would have been fine eloping with this dude. Like, I would have been fine getting married in jeans and a t-shirt. I actually was the one who said, hey, I would like to, like, just have an intimate wedding. And he's the one who said he wanted to invite all these people. I mean, there was so much gaslighting. And it's like, okay, you proposed and I'm doing the normal things that follow a proposal, stop trying to make me feel crazy about them. Next, he acted like I was nuts in the end of our relationship. And I mean, he treated me horribly. Like I need to do a whole episode just about that. But he really did. I mean, in a brief, just a few things that he did, I guess, when this was like the first weekend in March, we were supposed to go to Kentucky together. And he, prior to, right when we were supposed to leave together, I tried to initiate sex with him. And he accused me of skipping birth control, which I hadn't done. And then he proceeded to just treat me like shit that entire weekend. Again, I need to do like a whole podcast episode about that. Um, lots and lots of things happened. But essentially, it got to a point where he had not come home for an entire month. We were married. 
and I had begged him. Like at that point, I really, I still did not grasp what a horrible, abusive relationship that I was in. And I wanted it to work out. I really did. I wanted things to work out. And I admit, like I begged him, begged him to work things out. And he wouldn't. He would, he, but he wouldn't tell me it was over either. And he wouldn't file for divorce. He was staying at his parents. And he would say things like, I mean, if you just let it breathe for a few days, it would be fine. So eventually I told him, you know, look, I really want things to work out, but I can't keep living like this and I, I'm going to move your stuff out. And when I moved his stuff out, he wouldn't give me an address. So I had it delivered to where he was staying, his parents. And subsequently, he sent me messages like, you are the psycho that just like randomly dropped things at my parents' house. And, you know, basically made it out to be like this whole crazy thing. When the only thing psycho is waiting around for somebody that you're married to while they don't even have the decency to have a conversation with you. So no, sir. No to that one. Next, he did all kinds of just crazy crap on Facebook. Even I even went back in to when we were first dating, this was more subtle and I didn't really realize it at the time, but this was in December, 2017. So kind of a combination of things where he would try to involve other people all the time. Like he would call my parents or involve my parents in arguments. And my parents would tell me like, why the heck does he keep involving us in this. And now it's so clear to see, like we all can see (laughs) that he, just like the movie Gaslighting or Gaslight was trying to show other people and trying to demonstrate that I was crazy and unstable. So in my text from December, 2017, I was a lot stronger at that point because we hadn't only been together like a little less than a year. I said, why did you involve my parents? And he's like, well, why would any of this happen? And then I said, why would you delete and untag me from your entire Facebook? And he was acting like he didn't do it. And I actually still, you know, was able to grasp and trust myself at that point. I said back, no, you changed all of this in the last hour and you've made your whole page look like you're single. And he was, in all these texts, he's denying it. He's like, you got to be kidding me. What are you talking about? You've got to be kidding me. And so, I mean, this is just a very early on example. There's so, so many more, but just little games that he would play. Next, he would always act like it was the manner or the timing of the conversation. And I didn't realize this until 
working through it with my counselor. So he would say, I always bring stuff up at night. But whenever I tried to bring stuff up at any other part of the day, he wouldn't let me have the conversation. And my counselor is the one who first pointed this out. We had several sessions where, you know, she would say, okay, well, let's do exactly what he says. And so I did it and I would give him space, give him a few days, and then try to talk to him in the morning or the afternoon. It never was a good time for him. But he was trying to make it seem like I was nuts because of the manner or the tone I was bringing up conversations in. Next, he would always leave things very ambiguous. And I feel like that was done purposely because that way he could just, you know, flip it to whatever was more convenient for him. He would act like he gave an answer, but he never would. Next, whenever I tried to talk to him about like drinking, because he drank a lot, literally he drank like at least five or six beers every day. He would call me nuts and he would never own up to anything. And, you know, he would just call me crazy and it would make me feel bad like, I was imagining it. Next, he, I found myself always apologizing for his behavior, for his bad behavior. Next, I started to question what really happened. Like I went into a situation very confident and remembering exactly what happened and then questioning it by the end. Next, this is huge. He would tell me my emotions were wrong. My feelings were wrong. I mean, I'm not perfect. I'm positive that there are many times that I overreacted to something. Everyone might overreact or be disproportionate at times. But the emotions and the feelings that are there are valid. Next, as I've said many times, I was clearly privately questioning all of this. I mean, to the point that I was in therapy talking to my counselor about it. And she's like, uh, yeah, we need, to, we need to dig into this because this person's making you feel crazy. The, the last time that I saw him in person... I met him, this was after I filed for divorce, and I met him in person to talk, and I said, you know, are you trying to reconcile, or are you trying to negotiate on the divorce? So this was in June 2020, Um, and FYI, I have not talked to him in almost six months, it's over five months. And when I asked that question, he said, I'm not here to try and reconcile. I'm not here to strictly try to negotiate on the divorce. And I said, so you're not here to reconcile? And he said, no. And then I go on to say, okay, you already told me you don't want to reconcile. 
And then he becomes really hostile and he's like, I never said that. And he asks me to repeat what he says and he thinks that I wasn't listening. And I repeated it. And he tries to act like my memory is the issue and he's making me repeat things. And he tells me that the, quote, entire great rift between us is because of my memory. And, you know, of course, it's not because he gave me the silent treatment or abandoned me or lied to me or cussed me out or pushed me or sprayed me with a hose or cheated on me. It's because of my memory. I mean, to this day, although I've not talked to him in months, he continues to try to gaslight me in the divorce proceedings, files all kind of crazy motions. I have literally offered, I made an offer of judgment where he would pay $1,100 of the total, I think at this point, it's $5,071 that I've spent. Um, So I literally offered him, (laughs) I I offered to walk away with a $4,000 loss. This is on top of keeping in mind that my family paid for the wedding, the honeymoon. So I mean, thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. He didn't pay me a dime to live in my house that's in my name that I own for, let's see, from October 2018 through March 2020. He did not contribute to bills. Actually, after we got married, I even said... Like, hey, you need to contribute X amount towards groceries. And he was like, that's ridiculous. We should, why would we buy groceries together? You like different things than I do. I mean, so on top of all the other monetary things, (laughs) including literally right before all this blew up was his birthday, bought him like a $300, $400 chainsaw took him out for the dinner that he wanted to go to. My parents came to town also and took him to a nice dinner. Yeah. Uh, so on top of all that, I was like, what? Cool. I will lose another four grand. I don't care. Just, this is, if this is over, that's good enough. And he wouldn't sign it. He tried to force me to um, sign a... A different <laughs> agreement uh, limiting my right to speak about the divorce and to speak about what happened to me and so yeah the process is ongoing <laughs> but you know like I said 2019 was a much worse year than 2020 and it's pretty awesome that I am now able to understand gaslighting. I'm now under able to understand all of this. And I'm in a much, much, much better place. And honestly, the even though the divorce is still ongoing and he continues to try to use various tactics, 
he's un. I mean, it's great for me. It's unfortunate for him that he thinks that he's dealing with the same girl that he was able to gaslight. And I say girl because I feel like I was just a girl and I feel like I have come such a long way and I'm strong, I'm capable, I'm smart, I'm worthy, and I'm a woman. And although I don't believe that he realizes it, I think that he hopes to get reactions out of me and I think he hopes or thinks that I still care or a part of me wants that marriage, that relationship, and I don't. I truly don't. And I finally am able to see and I'm able to understand gaslighting and he can file anything in the world that he wants and it's not going to get a reaction out of me. He can tell whatever story he wants to everybody in the world and it's not going to get a reaction out of me. I don't care what he tells his friends and family and none of that matters to me. I know what happened and I can't be gaslit anymore and that is the most freeing thing that I could ever experience. And just being free of that is incredible. So I know today's episode was a little bit longer than usual. And next week, I'm going to be getting into tips on how to heal from gaslighting and tips, you know, if you are currently being gaslighted, it's kind of, I'm like, is that grammatically correct? Just thinking out loud here. I almost said gaslitten. I don't know. I'm going to need some of my English peeps, grammar peeps to uh, hit me up about that one. So I really appreciate you guys tuning in. New episodes drop every Monday. Part two of the Gaslighting series is going to be next week. And again, I'm going to be covering tips. If you like this content on my podcast, be sure to, first of all, subscribe and share it with your friends, your, your network, and anybody who could use this podcast. Second, be sure to follow me on Instagram. I post a lot of related things on Instagram all kinds of things, all kinds of mental health topics. And my account is at Codependent Recovery. Check the show notes. It's all the infos there. For those of you going through a breakup or a divorce, I wrote a workbook. It's available in print and ebook worldwide. The information is in the show notes as well. It's 98 pages. It's awesome. I've received such amazing feedback from people and I so appreciate all the people that have bought it. You're all incredible. And the other thing I wanted to announce, as always, in October, I launched a two initiatives to kind of grow community and foster community, especially in the time of the current pandemic that's going on. So they both happen on Zoom and the link is in the show notes. Two options, two ways to get involved. One are the Zoom book clubs. We read one book a month and then we have a Zoom meeting about it. 
January's book is Where the Crawdads Sing by Delia Owens. February is Codependent No More. So that's going to be exciting. And then the other, if you don't like reading or you're not in it, into, you know, taking on any extra reading right now, you can still join. I do um, Zoom community hangs. Those are once a month. People from all over the world. We have somebody from Amsterdam, um, from Texas, from Houston. People from all over are on it. And it's really awesome. And it's a cool way to connect and get to know each other, especially in this pandemic. <laughs> so I appreciate you guys. And I will see you next Monday. I hope you have an amazing week and amazing holiday season. And I hope you get some R&R &R and some time to relax. Bye, friends.